you record. All right, whenever you're, I'll let you lead it off. Okay. Let me start the clock. Here we go. Welcome to Eurodolly University Conversations with our good friend, Stephen Van Meter. I think the big topic, well, there's a couple big topics this week. Number one, probably the pound, the gilt market, an operation by the Bank of England, some kind of liken it to QE. It's not really QE, but is it really not QE? We'll find out. Let's talk to Steve about that before we get into other things like inflation, where is consumer prices going? Where does the market think consumer prices are going? And does the market think consumer prices are going in a direction that is going to lead to more operations like the Bank of England? Are we going to see more QEs down the road? Is this Bank of England guilt rescue merely the first in a long line of rather predictable outcomes? Because let's face it, I think this is always going to be where we were going to end, where we were going to end up anyway. So, Steve, what do you think? The pound, the gilts. Are we guilty about gilts? Jeff, thanks for having me back. Um, you know, I, I like to say that uh, higher interest rates are all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. And, you know, we think about QE, we think about what's going on in Great Britain and with the interest rate market, you know, gilts, we see their currency going down. And why does this really matter is because the market is betting against the Fed. We, we see this almost every time where the you know, central banks say, we're going to raise rates and the market's almost like, all right, well, how much pain can you handle? And then the central bankers turn and say, well, we'll see how much pain you can handle. And then, of course, we have this game of chicken where they're both running at each other this time. Now we see in the UK pension market, and of all things, all of a sudden pension funds who buy bonds with the notion that they're going to hold them to maturity are starting to get margin called and have to liquidate at a loss. I mean, that that's just not how it should work. Yeah, that's not that, you know, the pension funds in particular, it's, it's not that they're speculating in the bond market. In many ways, they like bonds because they're safe and they, they, they offer them the kind of protection that pension funds require, their mandates. But also they're mandated to buy these things, right? The government say, you need to own these things and you need to own a lot of them. And so the pension funds are sitting there thinking, you told us we had to buy these things and now you're, and now you're, now you're destroying the, the market for them. Yeah. And what does the Bank of England come out and say, OK, you know what, you're, you're under stress, you're getting margin called on. So our solution, which is brilliant that they don't even understand that they need these pension funds, like you said, mandate them to hold and own them, which, again, the pension funds are more than happy to do is they say, hey, look, we're going to run a temporary, which uh, I'm sure we'll agree that this isn't anything but temporary operation of buying long dated guilt temporary in the same way japan's qe was temporary and that was you know 21 years ago yeah, well i mean it's it, temporary it, it's temporary trans you know what jeff i'm going to call the word out here it's transitory it's even if it's at 21 years <laughs> but what i love about this is that the Bank of England thinks that the pension funds are actually going to sell them when in fact they aren't going to end up selling them. What's going to happen is when this temporary period expires, I think it was two weeks, uh, that they're going to do it. We're going to have the same problem back again. If they even cancel it, my bet, Jeff, I, I don't think they stop. No, it, it reminds me of the repo problems that showed up in September of 2019. 
again, the Fed had no idea what was going on. They just knew something was wrong. And so what did they do? They implemented these temporary repo operations that weren't really repo operations, but that's not the point. These temporary repo operations that here we are three years later are still around. <laughs> They're still there. These temporary programs to fix a problem that nobody really can define what the problem is. I think in, in the case of England, in the UK, in the gilt market, it's not really about the gilt market so much as it is about the lack of liquidity that we see pounding the pound. The bigger problem behind a lot of these things is the fact that the dollar system has experienced an enormous spasm, another one, the third one so far this year. And that's creating all sorts of issues. You know, I always use the quote from our friends in India who said, you know, these things, these dollar crises tend to create um, economic uh, drags on economic growth and financial instability. And what did we see in Britain of all places, in London of all places? Uh, we see problems with economic growth. The UK said, we're in recession and it's going to be bad. And in financial instability, those two things go hand in hand when you run into dollar issues. So the point here is that, yes, we can look, we can look and we can point at the gilt market. And we can talk about British pensions and the problems they're in. But we're really looking in a mirror here. We're not looking just at Britain, right? We're looking at a much bigger issue. Yeah, absolutely. Because at this point, if, if you're looking at the dollar saying, and, and maybe you're trading the dollar, investing the dollar, you go like, well, there's no way this can go higher because you know I'm, I'm going to look for an opportunity to short it. The really issue here I look at is what could stop the dollar? I mean, there's really nothing going on other than bringing the Fed back into play for the moment. They appear to be, you know, dug into their position of we're going to continue to do quantitative tightening we're going to raise some more rates although i have a hunch that by november something probably is going to change you might, maybe you agree with me on that jeff but i, I right now i look at the dollar i said what's going to stop this thing from going even higher yeah i think that's you know that's the point here is that you know we were always we were always scheduled or slated to get into a position, a situation which would lead to more quantitative easing. Not that it makes a difference one way or the other, because quantitative easing, certainly in my mind, Steve, is quantitative easing is central bankers recognizing that things are going wrong and then doing what they do to try to tell the public they're doing something about it. So the issue is when you see quantitative easing, it's about something going wrong, right? And that's what we see. Again, that's why to me, what happened with the Bank of England this week was more like quantitative easing than not because the Bank of England saw, hey, this thing just broke and I gotta, I gotta get on the news. I gotta get on the internet and tell people I did something about it. Doesn't matter what they do, but the, the correlation there is when a central bank does something, it's because something has gone wrong. And more than, more than, more not than, than that has, over this year, more has gone wrong than has gone right. And when you put these two things together, more going wrong than going right leads us down the road to eventually, as you said, Steve, more QEs are coming. Not just because of gilt markets or bond markets, but because the wider system is, in, is showing us signs of deflation. And we'll get into some actual inflationary estimates in a minute, but also, I mean, everybody can feel the recession. You can feel it coming. I just likened it to the phony war uh, at the start of World War II, where you know the Germans invaded Poland, uh, France and England declared war on Germany, but then for eight months, they just kind of looked at each other and did nothing because the German army needed to regroup after Poland. 
but so World War II had begun, but it, you know, everybody knew every, all the all the troops were lined up, everybody was ready to go. We could see it happening, but it did it took a while for it to start. And it kind of feels like to me, that's where we are in the markets and the economy. We can all see it, we can all feel it. Even got a little bit, you know, the Bank of England and QEs are coming, but it just hasn't quite started just yet. At least not the full stuff, the big stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great point you make, Jeff, about the fact that when QE comes back, it doesn't mean things are good. Because one thing I hear from investors all the time is like, man, I'm bold up, I'm buying because the Fed's going to capitulate, they're going to be back with QE and stocks are going to just go straight up. And it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, you don't understand. The global economy is slowing. If you think that QE is all this magical pill, it's not going to fix this inventory issue. It's not going to cause new orders to go down because we have too much inventory, which we heard this week. Another one, Nike, comes out and says that they got tons of shoes and stuff that they, they don't know what to do with. So that's not. Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. Yeah. And, and even worse, they said, we, by the way, we have actually more coming, which I think you have said very clearly. It's, it's not just the inventory they have on hand, it's the inventory they still have yet to come. Yeah. And, and that's all going to start hitting, you know, the earnings. And we'll see it here as earnings season is getting kicked off. We'll see it next quarter. And it's all going to filter through the economy. So the idea that suddenly the Fed shows back up and does QE is, you know, the economy is like a gigantic ocean going ship. Even if you shut the engines off and try to put them in reverse, the thing's going to go for miles before it even comes to a stop. Same thing happens here. I think you're right. By the time the Fed or all the central bankers come back with QE, it's bad news because you've, you've told me before the show, the signs of inflation are already pointing to disinflation. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, because we got a bunch of consumer price numbers this week. Um, there was Germany, there was Europe as a whole, and then the PCE deflated in the U.S., Germany was huge acceleration in consumer prices, double digit CPI, double digit HICP. Then the next day, I think it was Friday, Europe came out, Eurostat said the same thing, double digit record high, not just record high, but record acceleration. Yeah. But even that, you sort of shake your head and be like, well, yeah, but that's not economics, that's politics, that's energy, that's all the stuff that's wrong. You know, food prices accelerated, of course they did, because you know, all of the issues with uh, Ukraine, Eastern Europe, uh, Russia, all that stuff, energy prices, fertilizer, that has nothing to do with the economy. But then, okay, but wait, 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 the US, US PCE deflator, the core rate, uh, that unexpectedly accelerated to almost six tenths of a percent. So there's, there's still an inflation problem in the US, right? So maybe Europe has got their, their energy and politics, but what about the US, Steve? Right. And, and that's, I think, what everyone's looking at right now is when is this going to cool off? When is the Fed even going to pause? Because you start looking at the economic data. Uh, one thing I, I like to show my audience on, on my channel is we look at the Philly Fed New Orders Diffusion Index. And what's notable is it's very rare, and I know you know this, that when we see the new orders collapsing, that the Fed hasn't capitulated at this point. It's like they're just got that throttle jammed at the max. And these numbers are telling them, nah, you haven't done enough. Keep, keep tightening. And at this rate, the question only is to me is, when do we see an outright collapse in consumer prices? Is there something that's telling us that that's coming? Yes, <laughs> the entire marketplace. <laughs> It's like you knew where I was going to go with this. <laughs> yeah, the tips market. 
Uh, the tips market has been, of course, tips, inflation break-evens in the tips market do tend to track oil prices, as you would expect, because oil is the largest contributor to the CPI, and the CPI is what the government uses to pay back and in the inflation protection. So there's usually a good correlation between tips and oil prices. But going back to March and really into April, May, and June, July, where we saw that second major deflationary outbreak, tips, inflation break-evens have been falling more than oil prices which suggests that the market is thinking, yes, we see oil prices coming down, but we're also starting to think consumer prices are coming down in addition to lower oil prices. And that, that gap has only widened over the last couple of weeks to the point that this week, the same week when we had these German numbers, these European double-digit inflation numbers, consumer price numbers, this red-hot supposedly PCE deflator, whatever, Tips inflation break-evens, the five-year break-even, the 10-year break-even, both declined to their lowest level since January, January 2021. So essentially, inflation break-evens in the tips market have entirely round-tripped already the, uh, the supply shock, and they're, start and they're still going lower. And I think that was interesting about yesterday. For people who don't know, today is what, uh, Saturday, October 1st. So yesterday, September 30th, we got the PCE numbers, we got the European numbers, Germany was the day before, and inflation break-evens in the U.S. actually fell a little bit lower on Friday, even after all of those numbers came out. So still lower break-even rates, which says the market is, as you just said, Steve, kind of throwing in the towel on the supply shock saying, well, it isn't maybe definitely here right now, but we can start to see it coming closer and closer and closer. And as you just mentioned, um, Nike and some of these other corporate anecdotes that are coming out, companies are telling you inflation is done. We have to, we have to not only just mark down inventory, we've got to liquidate a whole bunch of it. What do you think that does to prices? And I think Nike's warning, Urban Outfitters and the several other retailers have said, it's not just this next couple of weeks or next quarter, this inventory problem is going to linger into next year. Well, yeah, and, and you tack onto that is what is a big driver, we've talked about it on this show, of sentiment and people's desire to go out and spend, and that's the stock market. So we're seeing it all of a sudden just, you know, nothing seems to be slowing its, its downward move. Now it's not moving rapidly down, but it's continuing to move lower and lower. That's going to weigh on consumers' minds. And uh, there could be a possibility here where we see discounts and consumers say, eh, sorry, I still can't afford it. Look at my 401k, look at my retirement accounts. I, you know, I retired early because I thought markets only went up. Um, man, they're down a bunch. I, there's no way I can pay. And I, I think that retailers, they sound still optimistic to me, Jeff, when I hear them talking. I don't think they realize that if things continue to go down the path that they're headed, this inventory could get to the point where they're scrapping it because it's outdated. And that's really not going to be inflationary. That's what Nike said, right? Nike said that we've got stuff from the previous season that we don't want. We can't sell because it's already outdated. But, it's you know, it's interesting. I think the retailers are doing what, the, what retailers do for corporate roadshows and earnings reports. They put on the happy face. And as soon as the camera turns off, they're like, oh, crap, what the hell are we going to do? Right. And I think that's what the market is sensing. Um, that's why you saw brown yields fall uh, when Bank of England announced their QE program, their not QE program. For the week, yields actually fell in the United States and elsewhere because the market is starting to sense that all these things are coming together. Like I said, the phony war. And I want to throw one more number out there that we got this week from yesterday, the PCE, the personal spending and income numbers, the personal savings rate. Now, the BEA 
Um, they did benchmark annual benchmark changes to all their data, which meant they revised actually revised uh, personal spending and income both higher, but mostly for the depth of 2020. And then it was a little bit better in 2021. Over the last year, it has been primarily the same. However, the net result was that the personal savings rate over the last three months has fallen below 4%. And that's a level that usually you associate with recession for good reason, because as you were just saying, not only are consumers looking at their 401ks or their stock holdings and saying, these are going down, and they've been going down for almost a year now. We also have incomes that aren't keeping up with prices and gasoline and food. And on top of all that, the low savings rate tells us the stimulus is gone. The magic from Uncle Sam has dissipated. And now we have a problem where, where consumers are going to have to cut back, even if they don't want to because they're running out of income. And I think that to me is the specific correlation with what we're seeing from retailers. Retailers have realized that consumers have hit the wall and they're starting to make all these, yeah, not only do we have inventory problems, we also have a demand problem. And when you have an inventory problem at the same time as a demand problem, that's when you get prices falling rapidly, right, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's one thing we'll tack onto that is if you have a debt problem, because unlike prior stimuluses where you actually saw people spend down or pay down their debt, which we did see initially, but of course, like anything, when the checks keep rolling in, you think they're never going to stop. Well, all of a sudden we saw consumer debt, credit card debt start to go way up. And of course, thanks to central bankers raising rates, now credit card interest rates are going to go higher. Minimum payments are going to go higher. And of course, that is all that's going to do is weigh on consumers' minds, lead to less spending, because at some point they're going to say, hey, you know what? Uh, if rates keep going up, this debt's out of control. I've got to pay it down. I don't need those year-old shoes. I didn't like them anyways, because they're out of style. And that's going to be a big problem for a lot of these retailers who are stuck with this inventory. You know, this is something I've thought about too. I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, is I wonder how much the, some of these other uh, aid programs like PPP and others, um, now of course we're seeing it with canceled student loan debt. I wonder how much the government influenced that type of behavior. How many people thought, well, this is COVID, this is a pandemic, this is a once in a lifetime emergency. I'm gonna load up on debt because as I'm looking everybody else around me, everybody's getting their loans canceled and forgiven. I'm going to take on a bunch of debt because the government's going to bail me out. That's what's, I mean, that's what everybody was talking about. All the politicians were talking about over the last couple of years is how do we bail everybody out? And now we're seeing it in student loan debt. So you have to wonder if, because like you said, that was absolutely the opposite way is usually what happens. You get into these sticky economic situations and people act prudently. They cut back on debt because that's the prudent thing to do when you're uncertain about the economic future. But that was not the case after 2020 and 2021, where the government said, do everything we've got. It's all on us. And I wonder how much the government influenced that behavior, the destructive behavior. Well, I think they did a lot. And I think people actually believe. I remember talking to people during it while they're getting their checks. They said, I'm not worried. And I said, why not? They said, look, the next time things go wrong, this is all coming back and even bigger. And I said, you know, I have a hunch that this is like a one-time deal, whatever, however it works, it's just not gonna work out well. And sure enough, 
I mean, we could see a change just in at the midterms, perhaps in sentiment from the government if parties change. But I think the other factor you have here is what would you rather have? Checks that lead to unattainable inflation, so you, you doesn't matter anyways, or do you want to go back to the way things were? And I wonder if people are going to be ready to go back or if they want even higher inflation, because you start to ask, you know, Jeff, is are you worse off now? Right. And this is a question we, you know, people, consumers ask and determine their spending. Am I worse off now or before? And I think people are actually they thought they were bad off before the pandemic. I think they now look back and say, wow, things were actually pretty good. The government actually made it worse, even though I thought they were making it better. Yeah, I think that's really the point here. We'll wrap it up with that is that, you know, the government, you know, initially everybody thought we need to do a lot more, 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 more. And then consumer prices exploded. And now there's this now the government, I think, is going to be very gun shy about the next one. Certainly the Fed's going to be gun shy because the Fed's going to get blamed for all of this. Every last bit, the up and the down. Jay Powell's neck is firmly in the noose. Whether he knows it or not, he's been fitted for the gallows anyway. And then you have politicians who, of course, are running around knowing they're being blamed for consumer prices when they did have a huge part in it. That was a big part of the supply shock. So as I said, you know, more QEs down the road might be a little bit further down the road than maybe normally when central bankers were only itching to get back into the QE. Government's only too happy to go further toward the road, further down the road toward MMT. I wonder if there's a little bit of a, you know, a little, little gun shy this time, though. Well, I guess we'll find out uh, if consumers are really are excited about it. I have a hunch, though. My, I think people are worse off now. And I think people are looking back saying, you know, I, maybe I wish this all didn't happen. And, you know, the pandemic did happen. The response didn't have to be that way. But, you know, when people are looking out at the economy right now, they don't see inflation coming down. They don't feel that their business prospects are getting better, their employment prospects, despite, of course, the government saying there's all these jobs. They're not seeing it. They're not seeing it get better. So the question is, to me, where all this goes is all up to the consumer. And I know you agree with me, Jeff, because if they stop spending, there's no way the inflation continues and there's no way we go back to what we just did. Yeah, let's leave it there, Steve. And I think, you know, one last final point is that, you know, even when we if we do get into a disinflation or even deflationary environment, we don't see prices go back to where they were. So we suffered the supply shock prices adjusted. Now, the, the overall economy has to make do with what already happened. You can't go back in time. You can't go back in economy. So thanks for joining us. Uh, for everybody out there who doesn't know already, Steve and I, we work for Atlas Financial. So if you want to check us out for portfolio management services, go to PortfolioShield.net. We also have a research product that is now launched, a joint one, together with Tracy Shukart. It's uh, at marketsinsiderpro.com. You can check it out there for some research products. Otherwise, just go eurodollar.university, see what's up with the Eurodollar University. Where's the meal? All these other kinds of questions that are running around. Sulfur, tips, inflation, all the good money stuff. So again, thanks for thanks for joining us again, Steve, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks, Jeff. I, it was great to see you and great to be on the show. And Les, we'll leave the audience with a question. Where's Emil? All right, see you later.